Our Father in heaven, we've already sung this morning that forever you are faithful and strong and with us. And so we thank you as we come before you now, as we consider what these words mean for us, that we can have an expectancy, a humble expectancy that you will speak. Because you are faithful, because you are strong, because you are with us. And so open our ears. As we were thinking last week, might you give us hearts of fertile good soil that your words would bear fruit in us. Amen. Um, The story so far in this series, if you've been around, is week one we thought about our God being a generous God, generous in creation with all the kinds of stuff that he gives us, a, a world of overflowing and blessing and ice cream and sunsets and beauty and lasagnas and all kinds of good stuff but also generous in recreation, generous in his forgiveness and his mercy and his redemption shown towards his people. It's a well that never dries up. He gives us good things. And then last week, as we were um, thinking at least in part with the kids about, we saw the way in which our hearts so easily get tangled up with the good things that he gives us. He is is generous, he gives us good things, and then we we use those things in ways that aren't meant to be used. Our, Our hearts can wander and the gifts end up trumping the giver and we're drawn away from him. It's the uh, the loving spouse who gives you a, a beautiful gift or the family member and you, you open it up and it's so amazing you forget about them and you get drawn into the thing that they've given you. In fact, that's part of the nature of sin in the Bible is that we take what he gives and we use those things in ways that ought not be used. We see it again and again and again in the scriptures. And so week one, generosity. Week two, hearts get tangled up and we wander. Week three, this week, our final week, is just the overarching idea that we need to be wise. Wisdom with stuff really matters. Because if he's generous and loves us and gives us good things, and if we have a propensity to use them wrongly, and we feel the allure of those things, then we need a wisdom as to how we're going to use them, how we're going to steward them. And so we've had 1 Timothy 6 read for us. We're just going to focus in on those three verses for this morning. And there are four things that we're going to focus on. Actually, I'm going to read those words again and see if you can spot four angles of wisdom or four opportunities to put into practice these things that we might be wise with what he gives us, that we might live well in this world. So again, 1 Tim 6 verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So much in there. But here are my four, four aspects of good and wise stewardship where we're going to bury down this morning. Um, Our need to be humble before God. Our need to hope in the right thing. Our need to enjoy God's gifts. And our need to be generous in all ways. Humble and hope and enjoy and generous. Okay, there are your hooks. Humble, hope, enjoy, generous. And the result of that, as we shall see, is is true life. Life as it was meant to be lived. 
So firstly, I need to be humble before God. And of course, the danger is we think that what we've achieved or what we have is our doing. That's always the temptation. We saw it last week, actually, on the edge of the promised land with Moses, Deuteronomy 8. Do you remember he said, be careful, you don't forget the Lord your God. Or you may say to yourself, my strength and the power of my hands have produced this wealth for me. It's the tendency in our hearts for us to take glory for the stuff that we have or the stuff that we've done. It's a wobbly shopping trolley and you're always veering into self, always veering into me. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm pretty good. Yeah, God's quite lucky to have me, actually. All that we have is from him. Our job, our house, our family, our spouse, our kids, our car, our savings, our stuff, or whatever the thing is that you take real pride and joy in. Do you know, you didn't get that for you. That came from his generous hands. And we say, I've I've worked hard for it, though. I've worked really hard. I've studied, and I've passed the exams, and I've taken the interviews, and I've worked the long hours, and I've done the extra time. And Yeah, but even... Even though that might be true, your abilities and your intelligence and your energy and your gifts and your skills and your strengths to enable you to achieve what you have, where'd you get them from? They came from him. Nothing we have is not from him. Or to flip it, everything we have is from him. And so Paul writes to Timothy, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. And command is a strong word, isn't it? Command is not a a lifestyle choice, a gentle suggestion from Paul. You might like to think about this, maybe try this out. Kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of. No, it's it's command. Originally, it's a military word. He commands Timothy, or he tells Timothy to command those not to be arrogant. And pride is a universal sin. It's something that we all will struggle with. But the tendency towards pride for those who have lots is huge, particularly easy for us to slip into. And you can probably tell from the title that Paul was writing to Timothy the clues in the question, but you probably know that. What you might not know is that Timothy was a, a pastor in Ephesus, most likely, and Ephesus was a city of money, a city of wealth, a place of prosperity and color and vibrancy and excess and experience and all the stuff, a city with a buzz about it. And if you had come from that kind of a background, an Ephesian background, and you begin to follow Jesus... If that was the group that you grew up with, wouldn't it be easy to look down your nose at those sitting around you who had less, maybe from different societal groupings, different social strata? That's your kind of muscle memory to look around at, oh, I've got to sit with them. Maybe they work for you through the week. Maybe they don't have very much at all. Maybe you spent your life doing that And although following Jesus changes everything, you will know as well as me, it doesn't change everything straight away, does it? It takes a while. Also, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Humility towards God and humility towards those made in the image of God. I know some of you. 
Lots of you I don't know very well, but that command from Paul for Timothy to give to the people isn't some kind of grumpy Paul or some kind of power play or put the people in their place or jealous of money. But no, it's because he knows the danger of human nature. He knows our hearts. He knows what we thought about last week and the way that money can get its, its tentacles around us, tangling our hearts up. That we trust in self and we trust in what we have and we end up quite arrogant. He knows the danger that we have of looking down on others. And so I take it this isn't simply for their, their context. This is a universal command, particularly in a place like Oxford, which is probably quite similar to a place like Ephesus. At Morgan Road, we might feel that our finances are stretched. You might feel that as you look at your bank account. You might feel that you are having to tighten your belt and maybe the holidays for this year aren't what you expect or want. Oxford is always expensive. Maybe that's a constant thing for you. But of course, in the scheme of things, big picture, we are extraordinarily well off in Oxford, in the UK. The top few percent in the globe for wealth. And so arrogance and trusting in what God has given us can be something that we all have to wrestle with and be careful about, and be wise about. Questions for home group might include, how might that arrogance find its way into your life as you relate to God, as you relate to others, as you relate to the stuff that you have? What might that look like? What might be evidence of that arrogance? So number one, humble. Number two, hope. I need to hope in the right thing. I'm not going to spend a huge amount on this one because actually there was quite a lot of overlap with last week. So if you weren't around last week or you've forgotten last week, you can find it on the website or on the podcast or various places. But we need to make sure that we steward well what he's entrusted to us because the way in which our hearts can take hope in the wrong things, we get captivated by them. They're shiny and beautiful and wow. Also, verse 17, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. See the repetition, to put their hope in. There's no, there's no having your cake and eating it here for the believer. No Boris Johnson cakeism. No putting your hope in God and putting your hope in wealth. No wearing a West Brom top and an Oxford top. You can't do both. They are mutually exclusive. It's either or. It can't be both and. You can't serve two masters. Jesus was not having a laugh. It's very serious. Paul is stating what we saw last week, and it needs to be restated, because even in this last week, I suspect our hearts will wander and find hope in the wrong things. Because we want to have our cake and eat it. We want to wear a West Brom top and an Oxford top. We want to follow two masters or at least give it a go. And because we have these blind spots behind us, we easily put our hope in our savings or our pension or our property or our bank balance. And when those things are taken away, suddenly you realize, I was actually hoping in them more than I thought I was. And yet hearts are deceitful. We... We seek to justify it. Our, our hopes hide away from us. They're kind of lurking in the background and you try and glance and they've moved. But don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Put your hope in God. Number three, enjoy. 
Don't look down. Look at me for a second. We were chatting about verse 17. Don't look down. Um, We were chatting about verse 17 um, in home group a couple of weeks ago. And it was such a surprise to me. I'm going to read verse 17. And I want you to think, how would you finish that verse, okay? Okay, God who richly provides us with everything for our, our service. Our stewardship, our growth, our maturity, our work, our... You can look down now. How does he finish it? Our enjoyment. Right? Does God really want us to enjoy the things that he gives us? Doesn't he just really care about our kind of Christ-likeness and us pressing on and working hard? And No, it's our enjoyment. Isn't that a surprise to you? We could have looked at this verse in week one, that our generous God is committed to the enjoyment of his people, but isn't it striking? It's quite explicit, isn't it? Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He is not the stern headmaster looking at you, working his way through your savings to check that you've properly tithed or whatever it might be, looking for you to slip up to make a mistake, to get it wrong, the God who provides you with just a crust of bread and a cup of water but he is committed to your enjoyment. Wow. And so he gives you his gifts, but more than that, he gives us himself. I think one way to maybe get better at this, at least something I'm thinking about at the moment, is just the perspective we have of who owns what. Okay, I remember 30-plus years ago, um, parents buying a house up in Headington Wood Farm, from a Christian family who were moving out. It was a private sale, no estate agents involved. That was a joy. And the family that we brought the house from, bought the house from, they described the house as not belonging to them, but rather the house belonged to the Lord. And that wasn't just an idea. That wasn't just a kind of Christianese. They actually believed that. And so they wanted to sell it to my family at the right price for him because it wasn't actually theirs. It was his. Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And that idea was a brand new one for me. I hadn't been a Christian for long. My family, I don't think, had been Christians for long. But the, the example, the reality, stuck with me. In fact, as we bought a house in Birmingham before Oxford as well, the people that we bought it from, again, it was no estate agents, and from a Christian family who wanted to sell it to us at the price they thought the Lord wanted us to have it because we probably couldn't afford the asking price. Again, the reality that what you have is not actually yours. It belongs to him. And so the way that we steward it really matters because it's his. An example of how to live out their faith and their trust in him in very practical ways. So think of the best thing that you have, the biggest thing that you have. Is it your car? Is it a house? Is it a, I don't know, musical instrument or computer? Or you know, it doesn't actually belong to you. Ultimately, it is his. And I think when that reality actually isn't just an idea, but actually becomes a reality in our lives, then our perception, our perspective of our possessions, the things that we own, Changes significantly. Your possessions, your money, indeed your gifts and talents, they're not actually yours and for you in one sense. 
And as Jesus told the parable that Matt read so well for us, how we use the things that he gives us actually reveals a huge amount about what we believe about our God, about his character, of what we think about him, and so what our lives end up looking like. Now, that doesn't mean that we can just use the stuff that he gives us for purely selfish means. You think, ah, verse 17, all I have is for my enjoyment? Come on. No, if we're to enjoy what he gives us, if we're to take pleasure in it, that doesn't mean we can just eat and drink and be merry and consume, 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 because actually you were not made for self. You are not the hero of your story. Purely indulging our desires and our dreams and our appetites is not the way to be more human and not the way to find true life. But now look to Christ, the true human, the perfect man. He laid down his life and he served and he poured himself out. And so the definition of life that we're working from really matters. The enjoyment that we were made for, verse 17, is a God-centered, others-focused enjoyment. His gifts, his giving, his goodness. You are more human as you serve because you are more like Christ. Which then brings us to the final one in verse 18. I need to be generous. Verse 18, command them to do good to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. It's another command. Again, we're not in the realm of lifestyle advice. This isn't optional, take it or leave it. This isn't gently suggesting that we might like to consider this, please. No, this is doing good, being rich in good deeds and generous and willing to share as basic Christian living. As followers of a generous God, we are to be a generous people. We're not uh, the dam that hoards and stores up and accumulates everything. But we are channels that share and give out and give out and give out and keep giving out. And we keep doing good and we keep being rich in good deeds and we keep being generous and willing to share. It's the, the daily posture, the daily reality. Not the dam, but the channel. Keep giving, keep giving and keep giving. Not stingy, but we are willing and wanting to pour out for him. And some of that will be what we do with our money. Whether we give, how much we give, what we give to, who we give to. Now, as Matt mentioned at the start, actually, we are not part of a formal denomination. And so there's no money that comes from outside us to, to fund staff or to fund things. Sometimes we get little bits and bobs, but... That's not a regular thing. And so basically, all that we have comes from what you give. And you know, there are all kinds of really bad reasons for people to give in church. Loads of them. Some people give to impress others. Jesus spoke about that. You know, the, the song and a dance and a ring of the bell and just kind of popping my check in there so everyone can see. I've seen that not in Modern Road, but I've seen it in other churches. Bit of a kind of palaver just to make sure that people have spotted that you are being generous. Not so much about what's being given, but actually being seen to give. Sometimes people give secondly to earn something. It's the vending machine idea. If I put my money in, 
then God will give me what I want. If I up my standing order, then maybe the promotion at work might finally arrive. If I'm generous with that person, then perhaps I'll do a bit better in the exams than I perhaps deserve to. Sometimes people give to pay God back. God has given me all this, and I feel quite guilty, and if I could just, maybe I can just kind of tip the scales a bit better. If I can pay him back in some way. I'm in such debt now, surely he needs me to balance it up a bit. But anything and everything we have comes from him. There's no debt. Everything is his. The Anglican liturgy says, all that we have comes from you and of your own do we give you. Sometimes people give because they feel guilty or obliged. It's what we are meant to do. And if I don't give, then I feel bad and, well, I'll just do it begrudgingly. And yet the perspective that Paul has here as he writes to Timothy is that all that we have is from him and he is generous and money has this way of tangling up our hearts and so command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Again, maybe that's another discussion for home groups this week for you. To work out where we're doing those things. How can we be better at doing those things, at being rich in good deeds and generous and willing to share? I don't think it's my place to command you in the same way. But Paul commands Timothy to command the church in Ephesus. And so I take it he commands us to do the same. What would your life look like if you did more good? If you were richer in good deeds? If you were more generous and more willing to share? What's the answer if we struggle with money? Some of us will just be stingy. You will know that you are stingy. If we struggle with money, the first thing to say is this. As a church, we have a hardship compassion fund. Um, We know that things are tight for some people at the moment, and it is there to help. So if you need help, then please get in contact, and we would love to have the privilege and the opportunity to serve you and to help you. People have given money, and we've budgeted as well that there's money in a pot to help people. Um, That's happened already this year, this, this financial year. The second thing to say, second, is if you struggle with money, but not that you haven't got enough, it's more towards stinginess. You find yourself being the dam rather than the channel. You find yourself hoarding and squirreling it all away. How does one help the stingy Christian? There's a sense in which we must just first of all hear Paul's command. But more than that, as is often the case, the answer overly simplistically is is the cross. The cross, the cross is the answer to our stingy hearts. And you stand beside the cross, it is very hard not to be generous. One writer said this, they said, the solution to stinginess is a reorientation to the generosity of Christ in the gospel, where he poured out his wealth for you. Because of the gospel, you don't have to worry about money. The cross provides God's care for you, and it gives you security. Because of the gospel, you don't have to envy anyone else's money. Jesus' love and salvation conferred on you a remarkable status, and one that money cannot give you. What makes you a generous person is to deepen your understanding of the salvation of Christ and living out the changes that that understanding makes in our hearts. See, the cross changes our hearts. We see his generosity to us. We, we know that generosity. 
our hearts melt. And God's outrageous kindness to us, bit by bit by bit, just changes our attitude to the stuff that we have. For you and for me, the richest man in all of history became poor, that we might become rich. And indeed, that we might become rich in a way that matters far more than money. Money's not very important. How do we know when you've got that? Do you know, I see it in this room. I know there are people in this room who have got that. But I think it means that we're in the kind of place where we're willing to go without and actually for that to be seen as a blessing. And maybe your breakfast table helps you. Plate in front of you. Bacon and eggs, perhaps. And you speak to the pig and the chicken. You talk about giving with them. And which one of you two is the most generous? And the chicken says, look how many eggs I give day after day after day after day to the supermarkets. Every day, every week, every month. Eggs and eggs and eggs and eggs. And you get to enjoy your poached egg sandwich. And the pig just points to a side of bacon and says to the chicken, what you give represents a contribution. For me, it is a sacrifice. How much do we miss what we give? Again, maybe that's a question for home group. What are you willing to go without that you might be generous? And remember, we're doing this series because there is no big giving drive. I don't have a a steeple fund behind me with a kind of thermometer slowly working its way up. There is no huge need at this point. We're not going to lock the doors after the sermon. We're simply doing it because we want to be good stewards. We want to be wise with what God has given us. And we know the way that our hearts can get tangled up in the stuff that he gives. And when there isn't a huge, big financial stress, then maybe we get a bit more light and a bit more clarity on what the Bible says about giving and the reality of money. Look at how Paul ends up in verse 19. This world is so captivating, it's so alluring, it's so all-consuming. It fills our senses. We, we see and we taste and we touch and, and it draws our hearts in. But there is real life to come, says Paul. In, in this way, verse 19, in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You see, if we live wisely... Our humility, not arrogance before God, and hoping in the right thing, and enjoying the gifts that he gives us, and and being generous in all ways. Humble, hopeful, enjoying, and generous. Then we will live life as it's meant to be lived. Life that begins now, but it's a life that goes on. Taking hold of the life that is truly life. But because of the nature of money and because of the nature of our hearts, that is a hard thing to do. So let's pray as we finish. Let's pray that God would help us and give us wisdom. And maybe that's wisdom as individuals or as families or indeed wisdom as a church. That we won't be wise with what he's given. Let me pray.
Lord, we confess to you that so easily we, we struggle in these things because of our hearts, because of the allure, the allure of this world, because of the promises that money makes, because of the way that this world works. And so we ask that you would keep us humble before you, that we might not be arrogant, that you would help us to hope in the right thing, to put our hope in you, not in what we have. We pray that we might rightly enjoy your good gifts, that we might enjoy the things that you give, but that we would be generous too, generous in all kinds of ways. And Lord, if we are stingy, and in one sense we all are, then might we know more of the reality of your love for us, your generosity shown to us on the cross. Might we find security there, identity there, safety there. Might we not be dams who store things up, but channels who give and give and give. In Jesus' name, amen.